This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed, which means I'm Ken Napson. And it means I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. It's nice to have my identity confirmed every week by announcing my own name on a podcast. This is our News and Cues episode, Ken. Uh, we're going to talk some news, and then the Cues stands uh, not for the character Q from Star Trek, although we will be talking about him later, but it stands for questions. 
That's a good tease, sir. Oh, yeah. We're going to be branching over to Star Trek. The war that began and never ended. Well, it ended when I looked at <laughs> the playgrounds. But, yes, a lot of fun, a lot of news, a lot of cues. Uh, we love doing these episodes uh, and getting into those headlines. We love those headlines. Uh, it's been quieter, but we got some good ones today. Uh, before we get to all that, we want to remind you today's, uh, you know, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. But that's not all with the offers, Joseph. No, we have another ongoing offer. Inside Editions, publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books. They are offering 35% off. Yes, 35% off across their website with a special Force Center code. To get your discount, you can enter the code FC35, or you can visit the website with this link, insighteditions.com slash discount slash FC35. Uh, and this week, we are continuing to recommend a book that will be coming out soon uh, on May 4th, Star Wars Day, and that is Star Wars colon Galactic Baking. Uh, we've got to see a couple of preview pages from this in it. It's got a bunch of fun recipes that look like actually tasty and like sort of a art sculpture. It's like crafting you can eat. You can eat uh, <laughs> Mustafarian molten lava cakes, Cloud City marshmallows, Lothcat kibble, Keshian spice bread, that's the one I'm most interested in. Dagobah bog pie, that one I'm I'm intrigued by as well. Anyway, you can check it out uh, with the code FC35. This might be the book that makes me conquer my fear of baking, not cooking. I love cooking more than I ever did before thanks to the uh, lockdown, but uh, baking might be that uh, area of fear I must face. So this might be the book to help. <laughs> it is scary baking. I've had some scary baking adventures, but that's a story for another day, Ken. Another day indeed, but a story for right now is our Star Wars adventures. Man, we're just transitioning like pros today, and I love doing that. Uh, Joseph, we love catching up. Life adventures, Star Wars adventures. I always can tell by your Instagram feed if you had an adventurous weekend or not. And I think you had one. I think you and Sarah had a great weekend, but I don't want to answer for you. No, I did. I did. We had an adventurous uh, Saturday. Uh, my wife wisely said, I know that you want to just stay home and uh, watch television and work on Saturday, but what if we left the house? <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, and we are, of course, lucky to live in Los Angeles, where there are lots of great, beautiful things to see, including the ocean. Uh, we live in the actual neighborhood of Hollywood. So it takes about an hour to drive out to uh, the ocean, pretty much for us, uh, a pretty straight shot to the Santa Monica Pier, uh, which people know from, you know, people flying by that in, you know, movies like Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you're not, if you're like, where did he go? Well, watch uh, the beginning of the, the film Iron Man and you'll see him fly by. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's such a weird and surreal experience. It's one of the things I love about Los Angeles. It, it, it Los Angeles in the whole general, you know, metro area holds so many fun contradictions and yeah. the road down there, just, you know, Santa Monica Boulevard, you know, the, the end of route 66, especially toward that second half, you've been on the road for a while. There are a lot of lights. There's always a lot of traffic and it's just like, uh, I'm grinding through traffic. Oh, yeah. there's the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, can I just keep driving and just go right into it? The uh, not in a, <laughs> not in an end it all way in a commune with the ocean way. Uh, but it's just so beautiful. You just you grind through an hour of traffic traffic and then suddenly it's just, you know, we hit it at, at about four o'clock and the sun was low and sparkling on the ocean and just absolutely beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, so that was nice uh, just to reconnect to nature 
uh, take that step back. And then we looped around uh, through some great weird Hollywood, uh, not Hollywood, you know, Los Angeles Hills uh, and went to a Target. <laughs> I, I bought a retro uh, action figure of Merman uh, from Masters of the Universe, which seemed appropriate since I was looking at the ocean. Uh, but to get to the Star Wars part of it, Ken, yeah. uh, we've been we've been trading Target visiting stories and uh, the, the toys, the Star Wars toys are just decimated. Um, there were literally no action figures. There were a few Grogu's. Um, mm. There are a couple of those little sort of mini micro machines that come with the the little figures that, yeah. that with the weird proportions. Um, those are not personally for me. The only thing, like on the actual wall, uh, it was just all the empty pegs in the only thing hanging from the pegs was the Mando and Child walkie-talkie set, which was just incredibly sad. Imagining oh, Din great. picking it up and going, Grogu, Grogu, are you out there? Wow, that's great. <laughs> I, I might want one of those. It right, was... We have a long hallway in our house. I can give Grace one at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the, the walkie-talkie is probably not necessary uh, in my apartment, but yeah, you've got that long hallway and got a little, a couple little side rooms. You you can definitely <laughs> uh, keep in touch with one another. So that was that was my adventure. Uh, got to look at the ocean <laughs> hey. and then an empty toy aisle. Look, I think uh, the earth is a beautiful, wonderful place. I uh, hope we get to keep it a little bit longer. Um, but I got to tell you, I, I, Southern California, yes, it's, it's, I, I grew up on the coast, grew up in SoCal too, uh, and been out for 23 years. I, I just, I don't stand for it when it's, when it's disparaged in terms of its beauty. <laughs> yes, it's a city. Yes, it's taken over. Yes, there was a lot of smog, especially in the 70s, and there still is now. Um, it's a beautiful spot, and there's just some beautiful areas. And you, you got to experience uh, a lot of, including, uh, you, you said you drove up the, the hills, the canyons, the Tobago Canyon, and all area. Just some great stuff. So glad you got to get out and do that. Yeah, it, it's, it is really just amazing the amount of, you know, particularly this week, you, we're on the deep dive. We're going to talk about kind of if we could really do a star tours of the galaxy, which planets would we go to? And like, I had that on my mind because like, okay, I saw the ocean and now we're uh you know winding around Topanga Canyon which there's some parts of it that look very like this is a forest uh, and then it's suddenly like no this is a giant chasm now we are <laughs> surrounded yeah. by on all sides by rocks and uh like big you know rock big rock walls um and yeah and like uh looking at sort of uh, when we were in Santa Monica the looking at Malibu Malibu from a distance it was really the the hazy misty like purple hills that just made you feel like the Zillow beast is going to rise over those <laughs> <laughs> well there's some there's there's a, there's a place in the north valley uh, north of the uh, the 118 freeway for those keeping score at home uh Porto Ranch area and it's got some cliffs essentially there's some neighbors up there uh they, they, they we've built in the hills so much um, so you go up there and you can set up there and it, it, you feel like Obi-Wan and Luke overlooking Moss Eisley from that uh, cliff. And, oh and, yeah. You, know, you feel it and it looks like it. So I know what you mean. It just kind of, you can, you can see the world as Star Wars sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's a, just a beautiful, fun bit of a, both escapism and realism at the same time. So, uh, so that was my adventure. Uh, no Star Wars action figures, uh, but Merman will have to do, I will have to pretend that he, he is a giant fish guy and have him play with my star wars characters love that uh i was gonna report nothing i was gonna come to you with nothing. <laughs> i was like so busy different things and you know i know you had a busy week too which is why uh sarah was so smart to be like uh, 
put the work down. We got to step outside a little bit. And that's uh, something we all do every now and then and need to remind ourselves, no matter what field of work you're in. But I had one of the weeks of head down, grind until morning. But um, last minute, uh, uh, last night, I was doing, getting ready, uh, doing some um, prep for, for this episode and other episodes we're doing. And, uh, you know, I had a YouTube and, you know, sometimes YouTube, you click on something and, and you got videos recommended that you just don't want to see or the random channels. Oh, those algorithms. And, and sometimes you get to remind YouTube, I don't want to see that angry person in the car. Thank you. <laughs> but all of a sudden was a, a, a clip from a, I guess, a documentary. I, I didn't even know what it was from. I, I, my bad. I didn't look it up uh, to give it full credit. But it is uh, an interview with uh, Lauren Peterson. And Lauren Peterson is one of the underrated ILM founding father types. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, he's in the, the Empire of Dreams and he's got kind of the bushy white beard and the ponytail gray white hair. And he's, he's a character indeed, but real calm and quiet uh, type of character, just a different kind of guy. And it's like a 20 minute interview and there's some other people in it, to be clear, but he's kind of the star of the little interview. And he tells this great story of, you know, joining the team and they, they kind of, he and his partner, John, not Dykstra, but uh, the other guy he worked with, uh, I forget his name now, um, he uh, they kind of bluffed their way into a high paying job with Lucasfilm, like higher paying um, and uh, how they discovered that that helped other because now uh, Lucas and Lucasfilm had to like pay the other people more because they were working underneath them. <laughs> but also how he's like, we were broke. We were poor. We had nothing. And we were like, yeah, this is our this is our rate. This is our shop rate. And they're like, oh, OK, well, we have to pay them. So I thought that was fascinating how they all chased a dream with almost nothing in their pockets back then. I'm fascinated by that time. I'm fascinated by any a really creative. Um, no one does anyone look around and go, wow, we're making history while we're making it right. Comedy store in the 70s, SNL in the, in the 70s as well. Sunset's driven the 80s, whatever. I just as a pop culture fan, I, I'm obsessed with that kind of stuff. And, and, and Lucasfilm, ILM specifically in Van Nuys, not too far from a golf course, used to play it all the time um, in that warehouse. And what was interesting about this, uh, Joseph, is Lauren Peterson is the guy that introduced super glue to ILM. <laughs> showed well, up yeah what were they using before like double stick tape or essentially some tape and some some uh hoxy, you know something that sticks and they'd have to put it on and and put the tape over it let it seal and dry for like 10 minutes all right not a long time but he shows up with this thing that uh you know i think it was the japanese company would use this uh and he says look man you got to give this a go and he literally tells the story of glue super gluing a pencil on a table at like a two degree angle and the whole ILM staff. I mean, this is Murin. This is Johnston. <laughs> this is Tippett. Everyone going, Oh my God, what did you do? <laughs> and how that sped up production on star Wars. Cause they're that, really give us that. That is amazing. Right. I mean, that sounds like some sort of myth. Like you remember, you gotta, you gotta really just watch out for yourself. Uh, tell people what you're worth. Just, you know, get yourself into that factory uh, show people how glue works. Just yeah. make your own life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, find your worth, and also use uh, uh, use super glue. Uh, so yeah, um, I I love it. Um, I got it. And I was just you know I was digging too. Um, I guess I I never I always want to make sure I one hundred percent confirm some of this. But Lauren Lauren Peterson, I don't know if you've heard this, Joseph. I I love learning new things about Star Wars, a movie you've seen all your life. He is the rebel guard that is in that tower on Yavin doing the like weird uh, radar gun check. Oh, yeah, yeah. The ship tracking. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, that's him. Um, according to, to sources there. So I also love that too. So Lauren Peterson, an unknown unsung, I should say hero of the ILM days. Yeah. Oh, it looks like he, uh, won, uh, the, the Academy Award for the visual effects on Temple of Doom. So yes, glue and removing hearts. He introduced (laughs) into our world. I love that. So anyways, that was my Star Wars adventure. I didn't expect to have one in the last minute. I had a great one. So well, that's great. That's great. You, you've had a great uh, focus on, on being sure to look behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. I think uh, that is a huge part of being a Star Wars fan is getting to know all of these uh, various cool people, both from back in the day and from now, who are making it happen. Making our dreams come true, literally building our childhoods back in <laughs> back in the day. It's crazy. <laughs> Glue my childhood back together, Lauren Peterson. Ah, uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> with that, we're going to transition to the news quite well because speaking of our childhoods and all the things we loved uh, then that we love talking about now, Kathleen Kennedy's had her hand in a few of those things. Just a few, you'd say. Just a few. Look at that resume. It goes for miles and miles like a CVS receipt. And as of right now, Kathleen Kennedy not going anywhere. This, according to Bob Chappick, speaking at ChappickCon, a.k.a. A, uh, a, addressing the Investor's Day with Disney, a good old conference call. The ones that uh, Joseph coined the phrase, IgerCon. I will admit, ChappicCon, Joseph, not as uh, just not as intriguing, as sexy as a headline as uh, IgerCon. To me. No, I think it's just it's a Bob party now. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I think we're I think we're uh, going to change it to uh, to BobCon. Uh, but now we yeah. don't. You know, Iger's kind of in the mix. Chappic's, you know, it's a confusing Bob's. time for the convention name. I think Bob parties. Uh, <laughs> I like that one. That one worked for me. So uh, this is where they're able to take uh, calls from investors. And, and I sen- sometimes wonder how screened they are. But uh, this one, I, gotta tell you, I don't know. So there were some questions that got through that uh, didn't seem to be screened. But uh, one of them was, now imagine, this is Bob Chappick, along with Iger, top dogs at Disney. Disney. Someone gets on the call and says, uh, hey, what about those rumors that Dave Filoni is going to take over Kathleen Kennedy's job? Fair question, I guess, but I just, I, it's a little, it's surreal to me, Joseph, right? Just that question alone got asked. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I won't pontificate on how, but it does definitely seem like the, there is a blend uh, of what used to, I think, feel to us of internet conversation that is making its way to uh, the, the boardroom level. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's fair. Uh, so he was asked, he was asked, and uh, Chapik said, uh, we're absolutely thrilled that we can have the creative talent in our company, the likes of Kathleen Kennedy. We look forward to having Kathleen directing Lucasfilm activities for years to come. So let's just deal with uh, that statement, those words. Joseph, uh, what do you think about Bob of the Bobs talking about Kathleen Kennedy here? I'm thrilled um, that there's a, a confirmation Mm-hmm. announcement i mean i suppose that there is some elbow room in that that could mean that she's gonna step up to some like you know a consulting producer or whatever so maybe, maybe there's some some wiggle room uh for what that really technically means but the spirit of it that i think is we're thrilled with kathleen kennedy's uh leadership and she is going to be involved in in some way for a long time and personally i'm thrilled for that because i kind of feel like um that we are entering into uh, they don't use this terminology for Disney Lucasfilm, but it feels like Disney Lucasfilm is moving into phase two, right? Uh, yeah. The 
the sequel trilogy was uh, completed. Tried the uh, the standalone films, the Star Wars stories. Uh, you know, there's some uh, kinks to work out there. But then also the launch of Disney Plus. And now we're moving into really this new world of like, well, what does Disney Plus open up now that it's successful? Largely, not largely, uh, at least partially, uh, partially, largely, thanks to Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh, what does that open up for Star Wars? And we're in this real new place with the the films of we're not pre-announcing a trilogy with a bunch of set directors. It looks like we're going to invite different directors in to come and play and see where it goes. So it's really entering this this uh, new dawn, uh, to quote the title of a Star Wars book. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, I'm really happy to have somebody who has already been there, already uh, gone through, here's what we learned, here's what really worked well in phase one, here's where there were stumbles, here's how we can launch into the future. It makes sense to me to continue that leadership. I, I absolutely does. This is, uh, this is uh, you want someone to continue kind of the mission here. And I agree with you. Uh, Shapik's uh, statement, prepared or not, or on the fly, it's it's w- w- corporate speak to a way, and you can always find wiggle room in that, uh, of course. And if you want to dive into that, uh, you know, it's okay to. But but I, I think that's a pretty strong s- statement, and it's a pretty clear statement. And it's, uh, he wouldn't say that if, if he l- legally didn't believe <laughs> to me. That's just me. Um, but I, I'm really happy there. And, and you're right. This is kind of phase two. And I think I think I think it's so easy to to look across the office, so to speak, at uh, MCU and see where they are now in this wonderful spot. They've done so well, and Feige and his baseball cap deserve all uh, of the credit, and the uh, myriad people that have uh, helped make that happen—the actors, the writers, the behind the scenes people, everything—and and not for, and not for nothing, the comic books. <laughs> <laughs> I think they helped a little bit. Helped a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I, I always go back to the beginning, to getting off the ground, Foggy trying to get people to understand the concept, and and Iron Man being even a weird choice to maybe launch this at first. Uh, you know, that that's the guy they're starting with, and Robert Dowdy Jr.'s got all those kind of things. They, huge they, risk oh, at the time. Huge, huge risk. risk, right? Is it quite like Keaton in '89? Maybe in a way, in a way, it's maybe even more important because of what they were trying to launch. So uh, they got it. Did Star? We're just we're gonna talk about. Uh, some of the actual individual things, accomplishments or mistakes or anything you want to talk about, but they, they got it off the ground. Something with immense, immense pressure on it. She shouldered that and, and often maybe shielded uh, others uh, during that process. And it was a success in, in many, many ways, as you said, largely, hugely, smallly, large, whatever, whatever you want to say. <laughs> now we'll really get to see. And now we're really good to see what, what, uh, when they all rolled roll up the sleeves what they can do going forward and I, th- I think the high republic even though it's mostly uh, at this point all on the publishing side is a great start and a great example of what we can look forward to coming down the pipeline in star wars so that's why to, to sum to summarize i'm happy she's still down yeah completely agree yeah now so let's take out the the hot takes on candidate of the picture and the bad takes and uh the sexist takes and any other takes you want to take take them out take out the takes um <laughs> Her retiring, I think we're moving on her own accord, is is uh, is and always was and will be possible, right? Uh, that's just a reality of it. And if she was ever like, it's time for me to move on or time to me, for me to move up, I I, I think that's okay. Um, and do you, how do you feel about that idea, Joseph, of, 
of wanting someone or do you feel at any point you you want someone to have this kind of story leadership, this Filoni Favreau job everyone wants them to have, which uh, would be probably very intriguing. But how do you feel about that idea at this point in time? I feel like uh, I, I'd be happy if that announcement came if it was the right person at the right time. You know, I yeah. think that there is um, with something as big as Star Wars, just from my own small amount of producing, you know, uh, theater and my small amount of being involved in the industry here in, in Hollywood. Um, I feel like there is sometimes a misunderstanding of, uh, the, the need to have, um, a, somebody who, who understands absolutely every element at the top from Mm. creative to financial to marketing you know and i think that's what makes kathleen kennedy such a strong you know and successful producer is that she really understands all of it the creative aspect is a part of her job but a part of her job is just keeping track of absolutely everything so if there was somebody who who wanted that job that was that split it off a little bit more and it was a little bit more like i am going to be the key creative person um, and that made sense to everyone involved, fine. But it's also like not, you know, it, it, it's not a job that I feel like is is missing. You know, er, everything that we've seen, not, not only the story group, but you know, like you look at the art of books and there's these quotes from, you know, everyone involved. Like Kathleen Kennedy is is having artistic opinions. Uh, Dave Filoni, you know, is kind of the, the, the reigning Padawan uh, become master of the Lucas perspective is having opinions, you know, mm-hmm. Doug Chang is having, you know, opinions. So I think Kathleen Kennedy in her position has done a really great job of being like the producer mm-hmm. taking care of all of the, the decisions, both the practical uh, and, you know, having a, a, a voice in the creative, not the least of which is, you know, picking directors who have a vision. Uh, but she's really, I think, compiled this team of trying to bring in new voices and trying to really respect the legacy of Star Wars by having other people at the table. I think the narrative of they have no idea what they're doing creatively, I don't entirely agree with that. Yeah. And oh. I think it's Kathleen Kennedy who has um, uh, sort of, to me, uh, protected the soul of Star Wars. Uh, I'm, I'm veering off a little bit from your question. I'm no. sorry. <laughs> Just uh, feeling passionate about, uh, about yeah. what I think Kathleen Kennedy has done well. But yeah, I think to answer your question, creative head, if it makes sense, great. But I don't think it's this thing that's desperately, desperately needed. And I realize many, many fans and listeners might disagree with me. And that's, of course, just fine. But I just don't see it. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, it's, it's so valid to bring up because I, 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 I'm with you on that idea of like, um, it's not necessarily a job that's needed. It's not necessarily something that's missing. I 100% agree with that statement. I uh, can't add anything more insightful to that. I just, I, I, I've always agreed with that. And I don't think as far as running Lucasfilm, Filoni himself, I, I'm still, I'd love to find clips of him going, what? No, God, me? No, that's not, that's not what I do. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing for me too is, um, uh, I don't know why I'm a David Lynch uh, quote machine lately, uh, but he has uh, this quote of a uh, focus on the donut, not the whole. Yeah. <laughs> and he often means, I, I think what he means by that is his films are, are, you know, weird, but pay attention to what's on the screen, not what you think is just to the left of the screen. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what's going on sometimes with Filoni is he is, you know, I think every 
uh, compliment he gets from fans is is deserved. I think he yeah. does an amazing job. But if we focus on the donut, not the whole, he is clearly by his actions and words yeah. focused on this is great to move into live action and to learn everything about that. And I'm having a ton of fun working on the Mandalorian. And now I'm going to be, you know, in charge. It sounds like of every tiny bit of the Ahsoka show. Mm-hmm. Um, if, it seems like Filoni is, is if we listen to his words and actions on track, doing what he wants to do, creating great Star Wars. Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. And this narrative of uh, no plan, and all those things we, we've. Fought against that at, uh, on the show before, probably uh, enough, and 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 I don't want to turn that into that, and and to turn it into some kind of battle lines drawn as it did, and Kathleen Kennedy became such a focal point of that because uh, she's at the top and she's out in front, she's at the conferences and the conventions and the calls and in the promo videos, and yeah, so I get it, and I think that's part of her job is to be part of the public face, but and again, as I said, shield a little bit, you know, you know, I don't think she some of the uh, Horrible things said about her. Some of the thoughts are deserved, but she might have the thought of, you, you know, sling those arrows at me. I'd rather have them at me than others. And then, you know, uh, <laughs> the landscape has been harsh the last couple of years anyways, but um, I don't think she's been uh, lost in that. You know, I don't think she's worried. Uh, is what <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think she's doing okay. I mean, I think sometimes that we can all get distracted by the fact that, you know, Star Wars opinions uh, run red hot. Right. And you can see like, oh, well, you know what? Some directors got uh, uh, replaced and all these kind of things and say, oh, it's it's you know, this this is this is the return of Star Wars has been a mess. Like, well, you know, uh, Disney's coffers disagree with that. You know, Uh, the the, these these movies uh, have made a huge amount of money. Uh, Mandalorian Mm. helped launch disney plus extremely successfully that was a risk in one that uh really creatively and financially paid off um and i think sometimes it's just because we as fans have strong opinions about star wars and disagree about which films are good you know mm-hmm. uh, that happened before <laughs> yeah 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 indeed what whatever you feel um and again i always say this uh, we, we, we're not in those meetings we're not in the conference rooms we're not in the hallways we're not on set uh, we never lose sight of that here at Force Center, I don't think, even though we have fun with some speculation and occasionally might have fun with some of the gossip. Sure, I'm not going to say I'm not a, <laughs> uh, a person who enjoys a good story every now and then, but uh, what do we feel are some of Kathleen's best decisions? Yeah, I feel like she, to me, has really tried to embrace this key legacy of Star Wars that I think both uh, – I've heard her speak about it. I've heard uh, Favreau and Filoni speak about it in reference specifically to the Mandalorian. Uh, I have heard us go on and on about it on this podcast of mm-hmm. Star Wars is this mix of new and old, uh, both on screen in, in its themes and behind the scenes of it is a collection of looking back at, at what has been and celebrating uh, the sort of the ancient and the the sacred and also bringing in the strange and the bold and the new. And I think, you know, that's, that's a thing that's really different between star Wars and the MCU. MCU had years of comic books to start with, but yeah. Feige built something new that nobody even knew what it was from the ground. Mm-hmm. Kathleen Kennedy came into something that has legacy at its core, but also absolutely values exploring the new. And I think that she swung for the fences 
and brought in a bunch of different directors. Some of them worked out great. Some of them, there were some bumps. And I think everyone involved just really tried to find that balance, that incredibly important balance to Star Wars between the new and the old. And I think for me, uh, you know, some of this is, you know, as you say, we'll, we'll never be able to have, have been in the room. Some of it is reading tea leaves. But mm-hmm. I think that Kathleen Kennedy has protected the soul of Star Wars. I mm-hmm. think that she has made every effort to bring in, you know, new ideas and new people. And, and that's, you know, increasing with Disney Plus, right, in every way. Um, you know, more diversity, all sorts of, uh, all sorts of great ideas of new. Um, but if we are to believe the reports, and that's a big if, uh, I love Lord and Miller, huge fan of uh, all of their other work. The Into the Spider-Verse is amazing. The Lego movies are amazing. I, I have no problem with Lord and Miller. But if the reports are true, that they wanted to take Solo into more of a comedy, yeah. you know, kind of standalone comedy film, and Kennedy's coming in and going, that's not, we got we to gotta have that balance of respecting what has been and that that's not the script that the castings wrote you know great yeah. um you know uh, people can r- really have all their opinions about the duel of fates episode nine script but to me some of the ideas particularly at the end ray giving into her, her rage mm-hmm. that's not the star wars that lucas created yeah so for me my opinion big underlined opinion uh because i don't know the facts and, and everybody has a right to their own opinion I think that she's really tried to bring in new ideas, new talents in those moments where they tip over into, but that's really going to go against what this, not only what, what this team of people who've been here a long time think is that's not quite right for star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, to me, I, I still consider those her best decisions, the changes, not um, on, on a comment on the talent that was let go or, or separated uh, from Lucasfilm or, uh, what would have been better, what could have been better, what was better. I just really respect that at this level, this eye with all the world watching, all the film world, all the fandom world watching, all the Star Wars fans watching, she wasn't afraid to make those decision, decisions that she felt was best for Star Wars. I really do believe that. And I still think one of the, you want to talk about best decisions was um, Force Awakens. <laughs> just doing it. And just making it happen, making it happen in 2012, 2013, different time, different era. And some of those names that were brought in were, uh, you know, Trank comes to mind where we're, their value was a little bit different at the time and things, things went awry. Just to make those decisions and to stand up there and say, uh, right or wrong to you, this is right for us and right for me and right for Star Wars, because you all love Star Wars. We're trying to get to that goal. Uh, there's always going to be what ifs. You and I will always have some donut holes that we want to look at uh, <laughs> before enjoying the, the full donut. Um, but that's, I actually think, the best. Just Force Awakens, launching it and getting there and making decisions that she feels in her heart are right for the company. Yeah. Uh, final thing for me is I, I think it's in the director and the Jedi when she has that quote, the documentary about Last Jedi, where she's talking about really going back to a new hope and going, yeah, what? what made this special and stripping away a lot of different things. It's like this meant everything to, to George Lucas as a human, George Lucas as a human is in this film. And I want to find directors who put something of themselves in the films. What, what I hear from, from that uh, as a creator is Kathleen Kennedy is somebody who 
knows the bottom line, <laughs> it knows the marketing, knows the budgets, knows all the producing, but really sees, understands, cares about art and storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel in, in, in the spirit of fairness, I, I'll ask this question answered the way you feel best, Joseph. Uh, do we feel there have any been, quote, bad decisions that we know of publicly? We, we're, again, not there in the hallway when you run into her on a Monday morning. All right. Um, we don't know that stuff. Do you feel, is there anything you can point to? Maybe it's not a decision, a feeling, a vibe, anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I, this is like a not, not knowing what, you know, what exact concrete decisions. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with, obviously it, you know, is not the greatest, uh, PR to have as many director stumbles as there have been, you know, Mm -hmm. between, you know, the Gareth Edwards thing, which was seemed pretty smooth overall. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, making the the big changes on Lord and Miller in, in episode nine director. And like, I think those were the right artistic decisions in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but of course, yeah, of course I can, anybody who says to me, um, yeah, that's not great for PR. <laughs> no disagreement there. Um, yeah. You know, but, but that's, I think where I come down on, on this view of like, uh, look, the, the the whole team swung for the fences, tried to bring in a lot of different perspectives, and sometimes they were great, and sometimes there were bumps. But what was important at the end of the day was the the art and the storytelling, you know, and and, and putting art above everything else. Like I, I guess that's that's the I'm, I think I am uh, doing some uh, some philosophical uh, flips of your question here. Of uh, was it a bad decision? Yeah, but it worked out good. Like uh, I can't, of course, of course, the solo you know, not making as much money. Uh, Iger has taken personal responsibility for the release date. Um, But, you know, nobody, nobody watches Casablanca and discusses its release strategy. You know, you watch the film and it's the art that survives, not the box office, not the release strategy. And I think, you know, Solo is going to be a film for the ages because of the really tough decisions that were made. And no one talks about uh, the script for Casablanca being written as they shot it, <laughs> not knowing the ending. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, and um, I, I can't point to one thing or that. You could look at the solo stuff, not just in terms of director's release date, everything, but I'm t- and I, I am, I call myself a Bob Iger fan. I'll stand by that. But he's he's publicly said, you know, here's some things, mistakes I made with that and with that film and some mistakes with George, as he said in his his book, The Ride of a Lifetime. And I, and I think you can't, that's, you know, sometimes you can only go as far as uh, the person at the top uh, lets you go, you know, and some will say that about Kathleen Kennedy, but I think Kathleen Kennedy could probably say about uh, that about Iger. So I can't, I don't lay a lot of that on the feet of her at all. Um, uh, I, I do, you know, she's so out in the public, but I think she also doesn't want us to get in the way. And I, and I respect that a lot, but uh, I don't know, maybe if there's a, more of uh, every once in a while, some of the controversies. Do we need to hear from her? No. Do we deserve to hear from Kathleen Kennedy? No. But going to the idea of getting out in front of some things or getting out in front of the news as best they can. Not that they're super cared about, super worried about scoops and everything as much as, as we might want to believe. But having a, that, I think they have more of a plan. I think they have more of an idea. I do think she protected the soul. And I wouldn't mind that just being uh, communicated a little bit more. But again, I, am I laying that on her feet? No. Also, I, as I said, I think it has a lot to do with her going, yes, yeah, it, it shouldn't be about me. It's about Star Wars and the story. So I think it's a weird combination of things. And that's why I'll never point to 
individual decisions. You make them if they're wrong and you correct them. I'm more worried. I'm more excited, I should say, about the correction and that you believed in it. Um, whether or not even I agreed with it. Um, so that's what I'll say about that. That's best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and certainly uh, everyone involved in the Mandalorian has given her uh, certainly plenty of, of credit for this was a, it, it worked, but brand new technology, very limited story uh, to start with, you know, not as epic normally. And, and as sometimes people expect from Star Wars and, and uh, she took all those risks and let, let those yep. creators and encourage those creators to take those risks. Yep. And look, whether or not you feel George uh, sends her a Christmas card anymore or not, uh, you know, um, I think she knows George, understands George. And by the way, George picked her, you know, <laughs> and I think she understands uh, the, the the big budget tent pole franchise marketing machine and the story. And I think we're pretty blessed. Yes, yes. And if social media existed in its current form when the prequels came out, uh, many people would have wanted George Lucas fired from Lucasfilm. <laughs> Gary Kurtz should run Star Wars. <laughs> yes, uh, I will once again. I know I've already said it, but I will caveat it again. I know these particular issues that we're talking about are ones uh, that can be hot button for lots of fans yeah. and lots of fans have lots of different uh, opinions. I am passionate about my opinion as well, but I am aware yeah. that they are they are my opinion in any discussion of this kind of producer stuff is relying somewhat on rumors and assumptions because we don't know. We just don't know a lot of this stuff. Correct. 100%. That should be, we should just have that read as a VO before this episode. The following (laughs) includes episode. Um, All right, moving on, moving on to something we, uh, (laughs) once again, facts with a little bit of spicy rumors, Uh, but we're going to hear, we're going to put down uh, some fire on those spicy rumors as best we can. The Mandalorian tie-in books have been canceled. Uh, DK Books and Del Rey announced uh, via Twitter that they are no longer publishing the Mandalorian Ultimate Visual Guide, which was going to be, uh, as uh, kind of always, written by Papa Hidalgo. And Adam Christopher's uh, penned original Mandalorian novel is kaput. So both companies use this wording, Joseph, due to the ever-expanding world of the Mandalorian ellipses, and they went into their statement. So, all right, I- I'm going to start the bidding here, Joseph. I get it. Um, there are some alluring conspiracy theories out there. They they leapt off the internet, citing uh, the drama on the character of Cara Dune as a reason, or they the reason uh, that does doesn't doesn't track for me. Um, I don't know about you, Joseph, but uh, it, the character exists, and the character will the name will probably exist in some way. Um, toys and the likeness, and that's a little different contractual thing, and whatever you want to say about that. Uh, not even going down that path, but I, I just don't see it as reason books uh, entire books being canceled joseph right uh, no i i personally think cara dune the character of cara dune has absolutely zero to do with this um yeah yeah i i will uh I'll cap- <laughs> i will withhold my other thoughts until you ask <laughs> well i i maybe i won't uh i'll capitalize that zero yeah um uh, but the the idea joseph about this ever-expanding world really does make sense Especially because I've even said, oh, I can't wait for that visual guide. I guess they're going to do five of them. <laughs> <laughs> so that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think this, this new, this is such a weird news day, Ken. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's basically Kathleen Kennedy is staying and these books aren't coming out. Um, I feel so bad anytime I say I'm happy that Star Wars content isn't coming out. But right, right. Uh, frankly, I'm thrilled. This is great. <laughs> uh, uh, and I will I will add many caveats to that uh, as well. Um, 
but just for me, big picture, this feels like, yeah, it's maybe because all these different stories, all these different shows are being added. The world is being developed. But the big the headline for me that that is screaming out is uh, Favreau uh, and Filoni and, and maybe other creators involved. They just want room to discover. They want to, you know, uh, adapt their ideas. If they get a big new idea about what Din's backstory is or what, you know, uh, how, how you know, the, the whistling birds work, they want to be able to adapt to that without being hemmed in by books. That's that's absolutely what uh, mm. I'm hearing. I think this this announcement to me is a triumph of Lucasfilm putting storytelling over profit. Um, That, hey, look, Mandalorian is super popular. And look, we could have immediately made fistfuls off of uh, the child at the time, but we didn't want to spoil it. So we waited. Uh, This is another of those things like that to me where where I think Favreau is really coming out of like, look, I don't want to have it be that this little detail was mentioned and now fans are upset because it said it in a book you know Mm. i want to be able to just change just go like wait no i thought i was going left but i'm going right um and i think the fact that the general machinery of lucasfilm says cool we want to give you that creative freedom more than we immediately need book sales yeah i mean look they could have released uh baby grogu's big day out uh the golden book and uh made a lot of money um and they still will (laughs) I, and I do have, I have a golden book of uh, Mando and in, in, yeah. in the child and it's great, uh, but it waited until it came out, you know? Yeah. Due to the ever expanding world of Mandalorian. Look, Favre said, and it wasn't like they were making up, making it up on the set. These books were being uh, put together. Probably why season one and was being shot or season two was being prepared. All those kind of things. Uh, it wasn't like Favre woke up one day and said, can we get Mark Hamill in here? But his comments were like, that wasn't necessarily where I was going and that wasn't necessarily part of the plan, but it just felt that's where, while writing, where the story took me. So absolutely. Um, we always hear you know, a lot of the books and comics, but particularly the novels, are tied back to the movie in which they are released around because they have to be. And then you see when things change. Look, um, you know, uh, how many people were like, well, I, I went to Last Jedi and 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 Holdo didn't speak uh, like Luna Lovegood. And I, I'm confused because I read Princess of Alderaan. And yeah, that's an example. And Ryan Johnson comes out and says, yeah, we shot it. We shot some scenes with her doing a little t- different take on the character. It didn't work for us. And at that point, the publisher people are like, all right, Claudia, here's the character. <laughs> right. And then we have the fun headcanon of like, well, she changed as she got older, you know, yeah. she spoke differently. Uh, but yeah, that's a perfect example. You know, the, we just went through this with the um, the description of events of season seven of the Clone Wars uh, mm-hmm. are at the beginning of the Ahsoka novel. And it's not just the lightsaber color. The, the, the story doesn't quite match up, which, you know, uh, I'm fine with. Uh, but why would you want to kind of create those things? Um, yeah. And I, I think it goes more to the spirit. I think the the um, the big thing to me, I'm going to go back to 800 different David Lynch, Lynch quotes. This for me is a watch the donut, not the hole. Mm-hmm. Look at the way uh, Favreau in particular tells the story of the Mandalorian. He loves original trilogy Star Wars that does tip of the iceberg storytelling and leaves you room to dream Mm. the show doles out information exactly when it wants to 
exactly how it wants to. It is not an exposition machine. It has no interest in telling the audience how something works unless it is emotionally relevant to the characters. Up to a point, you know, Din is still a man of mystery. We know some things about him, but not all. And an entire, you know, 300 to 400 page novel inside his head really cuts into that feeling of mystery and wonder that we only know, oh, he was in these core. Oh, he was maybe here for this event. We don't know exactly when he hooked up with the armor. I don't mean hooked up that way, uh, but maybe because we don't know. We don't <laughs> Man know. of mystery. Uh, and, you know, maybe the novel would have been different. Maybe it would have been written as, you know, uh, like the Thrawn novels are where we never go into his head, but it's still mm-hmm. a bunch of time. And, you know, fleshing out his time with the other mercenaries, maybe. We don't know what the book is. Mm. Uh, but 300 to 400 pages cuts into mystery. And I wonder if it is is not just the, we don't want, we're going to change things. We don't want to worry about having little facts that disagree because yeah. uh, fans rightfully, uh, you know, feel, you know, sometimes perturbed by that. But it's just the spirit of the thing. I think that Favreau wants uh, and here's my second Lynch quote, uh, room to dream, you know? And I think that goes to the visual dictionary too, because Pablo Hidalgo does a, a great job having cheeky fun, mm-hmm. filling in details. Then they end up on Wikipedia and then we all repeat them and they're canon and we get really like, yes, we know exactly. Think about the number of things that we don't know how they work, right? We don't know how tracking fob works. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we don't know where uh, new rockets come for Boba's jetpack, uh, you know, after they, they've all been fired. And then there's just a new one. Is You know, where they come from, especially, you know, on, on Tatooine right. uh, when Cobb Vanth had it. We don't know what exactly uh, the Night of a Thousand Tears uh, is. And, you know, we uh, honestly... Uh, and I know some fans disagree with me about this, but we honestly don't know when that is. Mm-hmm. We don't know character stuff. Is the armor a, a well-intentioned leader who is just trying to do the best by Din? Or is she like a dangerous zealot? You know, is she going to be the big bad? There's a ton of stuff, both big and small. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And my perception is that's a part of the fun and the spirit. I think Favreau is trying to go back to uh, the the playgrounds and the bars that we used to talk about when we didn't know what the Clone Wars were. We knew from the back of an action figure or a trading card that maybe Kenobi and Vader had a duel on a lava planet, but we don't know anything else than that. And we get to dream and debate and talk. And I feel like Favreau likes that vibe. And I feel like not having these books out there protects that vibe. Yeah, well said. And David Lynch agrees with you. Well said, indeed. Uh, and look, I, I am a I am a canon junkie in part of my brain. I don't want anyone to think differently. I want to know some specific stuff, and uh, hopefully, if I ever gets to answer it. And I love Hidalgo coming in and going, "Ah, I know you have a question about uh, gravity and bombs. Here's my little uh, answer, cheeky as you say." I definitely want. I can't wait for this stuff. And Adam Christopher is going to be working on another project. They already got one going on with that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it comes back, keeps coming back to that. And we can make our jokes. Um, you know, like I, I don't want I don't want the, the you know the show to completely counteract anything in a in a novel. I, I really don't want that. And 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 it's fun to try to track to see where it goes. But just sometimes you mentioned the Clone Wars thing. I mean, that was just clear as day. Filoni's like, yeah, that didn't work for me anymore. I had a chance to retell the story. I'm gonna re uh you know, relook at uh reanalyze uh, what I was gonna say and how I wanted to say, and Ahsoka's lightsaber colors now mean something a little different to me. So he did that. And, and I can't imagine Favreau um, looking at uh, having anyone go, well, so this novel just came out. 
He's going to be like, this is the guy that's like 3PO and Empire saying that shoot is uh, getting to, uh, getting told he shoot is like a deep cut to him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't know. No, no, I got something else. I got something else. Even Cobb Vance. Look, look, I love Cobb Vance. But look what we, we, I don't want to say dealt with like it was a bad thing. It was a fun conversation to have of the differences between Aftermath Cobb Vanth and Show Cobb Vanth. They were there and they're different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, this last season of Clone Wars and this last season of Mandalorian have, have demonstrated, hey, we really want to have this connected world. We want the thrill of somebody like Cobb Vanth showing up on screen. But we also want to say screen storytelling it, it need needs elbow room and we're not going to be super beholden to books. Um, yeah. And I think the, the other thing that makes me uh, okay about this is I love that they announced and Adam Christopher is, is working on a new book. Cause I, I, you know, that, that's the thing where I feel like, Hey, uh, an, a, an artist, a creator, a writer spent time. I'm sure that his Mandalorian book is, is great. Uh, I'm so glad that they announced like we're doing right by this author. He is working, working on something else, you know? Yeah, um, that makes me really happy. Yeah, and you know, I was looking forward to the visual dictionary. I was looking forward to, uh, you know, uh, I don't mean to poke fun at at Pablo Hidalgo. I think he does a great job. I, if yeah. Pablo Hidalgo wanted to explain to me how tracking fobs work, I would enjoy that because I can be a canon junkie exactly the same. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is, I can really see the flip side of we've really got to this uh, super canon junkie uh, world view of Star Wars where. Yeah. If you don't know something, it comes out. You know, I'm still uh, annoyed because I don't know the name of the bunny creature uh, <laughs> that is uh, at the Sabacc game with Han and Lando and Solo. You know, uh, but I feel like this is an opportunity to go like, hey, a lot of part of Star Wars, we get the canon junkie thing. We get to disappear in the world and know every little detail. Mm. Hey, but remember, even if you weren't alive, here's another way to look at it. We are mm. traveling to a bizarre, mysterious world. And there's a ton of stuff we just don't know. And remember, that can be fun, too. Yeah. 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 I'm saying, yeah, because I think uh, this is a, this story is a collection of all of our thoughts for the last five years or so Star Wars <laughs> in one story. And I can't wait till we get some Mandalorian uh, Italian stuff. Can't wait. Can't wait. But, but we are going to have to wait. <laughs> it's a lesson. It's a forced lesson, Joseph. Yes. Patience. Patience. Patience indeed. All right. Final story. Final story of the day. Um, fans have built a life-sized Razor Crest. Oh, look at this. Oh, this is a great shot, too. Uh, Russian Star Wars fans have uh, built the 13-foot-tall, one-ton weighing ship in the Siberian city of uh, Yakutsk. Yakutsk. Now, I'm Russian. I want everyone to know I am actually <laughs> Russian. My uh, grandmother's from Kiev. Uh, my now late grandfather's uh, Circassian from the White Hills of Russia. So I should be saying these names better. Um, but my dad was raised in America in the 50s. So Russian heritage was uh, not allowed to flourish in our, our house out of uh, <laughs> uh, a little PTSD. I apologize. Um, it took three months to build and cost uh, 750,000 rubles or roughly uh, 10,200 American dollars. Ail uh, Fedorov, uh, 28, was the leader of the team of cosplayers that built it. He used his savings, sold his car, and then uh, crowdsourced the rest. <laughs> Holy moly. Uh, uh, I'll round this up here. He was, quote, shocked to see the Razor Crest destroyed in season two when they felt they were inside the TV show rebuilding it. Uh, Joseph, general thoughts on this. What would you sell your car to build? And uh, 
there. There you go. Uh, did that quote, yeah, used his savings, then sold his car, then asked ordinary Russians and companies to pitch in. <laughs> was the actual quote from the article. I'm like, ordinary? Are we saying uh, uh, Fedorov yeah. is not ordinary? I think yeah. he's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, I think this is just so cool. And the article was saying, like, you know, people are coming to see it. You know, this is just this is this is just such a great picture of uh, yeah. of fandom. Of you know, you take your fandom of something and make it into you know a, a project and build community around it. And it's it's so cool. And it's it the, the devotion of like I am gonna make this happen to the point of selling my car is so cool. And I feel his pain about the destruction of the Razor Crest. I have said, you know, I went all in and I you know bought that uh, Hasbro yeah. uh, Razor Crest. <laughs> and at the time when I when I put that order in for that, uh, I thought like I am you know buying something that's going to symbolize the ongoing adventures of my friends Mando and Grogu. And like, nope, nope, they're separated and the ship's gone. Anyway, <laughs> not a reason not to celebrate it, but it's just it's different, right? Now it says in memoriam the in Razor Crest. Memoriam. Um, yeah. Now this, this is a kind of a perfect story to end the. And this new song here, because without a doubt, I mean, I think you and I always try to be respectful or dance around big issues. Uh, there's a lot of rumors and this and the, and the discourse and all the kind of things and all the sort of the negative sides. Uh, and what well, the book and canons and, and what the blah, 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 blah. Look what you got here. You got fans inspired by something they love going to great lengths. I would imagine a car in cold Siberia would be important. Uh, going to great lengths. You just take their passion and put it out there in the world and celebrate this thing we love. This Razor Crest is detail on the inside. It looks like you could sit in it. it. Looks like you could press some buttons. I just, I just want this to tour the world, and I just want five minutes to sit in it. That's all I want. That's all I want. I love that. I love that. I, yeah, I'm so so with you. It, it looks like you could just climb in there and just imagine. You know, <laughs> imagine, yeah. you know, you're trying to fly it straight and uh, and uh, not uh, not frog lady out of her seat. Exactly. Exactly. So good way to end the story. Uh, but I, I got to ask the question here, Joseph. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't have any skills in this. I tried to hang uh, a new Game of Thrones art piece yesterday, and that was an hour of my life. I'll never get back. Nor <laughs> my thumb. But um, uh, what uh, I got to ask you, man, what uh, what Star Wars vehicle? Or set, set could be an answer. Do you want in your backyard? Yeah, if I had the skills and the time and a backyard, uh, I would. I would build the uh, the Unetti Tree Library from Octo. You know, uh, I think that would be really cool to feel like it's a little fort. And you know, I would. Uh, I would put some Star Wars books in there. Yes, <laughs> that these are the the sacred Star Wars texts. Uh, and then I'd go reread Bloodline, <laughs> sitting inside a big fake tree. I love that. It's like um, those sheds you can get by those portable sheds in your backyard that have like you can put a couch or a PS5 in and everything. Yeah, that's what I want. He's, he's, where's Joseph? He's out, he's out in his tree reading his book. <laughs> what would you build, Ken? Um, I, I, keep, I keep going back to Bright Tree Village. I, 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 I mentioned that too many times. So I'm going to try to force myself out of just apparently me wanting to have a fire pit and an Ewok hut nearby. Having been on some of those Falcons, including Galaxy's Edge, including the the one with the uh, the wonderful folks in the, the 501st uh, Belgium uh, division uh, that brought that one to Star Wars Celebration Chicago, it's fantastic. That kind of stuff's fantastic. Um, but I think, uh, go with me here. I would. Uh, I think I'd put a if I had a 
And I even, I'm cheating on my own question here, Justin. <laughs> I would want like a, if I was able to get like a five bedroom house, I would turn the fifth bedroom into the Death Star conference room. Oh, wow. Why? I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like a good place to sit and have meetings. <laughs> would you use it as a command center or would you just go in there and, uh, and drink your coffee out of those cups? I'd go in there and drink drink my coffee uh, out of the cups for sure. Um, uh, and, you know, I'd take business meetings there, stream, whatever I need to do. But I definitely would want the doors. Like, I'd want that so I could just stroll in every time in a cape. Uh, invite, you know, friends over. I don't know why, you know, again, it's very dark side, very menacing. I don't know, but it just, it's so sleek. It's so, uh, as someone, I don't like meetings, but I, I do love a good conference table and a good comfy chair. So I just think, uh, if you gotta have meetings, this is where I'd have it. It'd be a good podcasting desk too, for yeah. a big podcast. Yeah. So there you go. I'm just gonna, all I have to do is sell my car crowdfund this and get the skills to build it. So it'll be a ways away. All right. That, that is a look at news. I got to tell you, I, I, I kind of thought, oh, we don't have a ton of stories today, but we had some <laughs> big ones. There's a the first hour of the show. We're going to take a quick break here in a second, get to your questions. But before we do that, we have a four center recommends an audio book. We think you should try out on us. Joseph, what do we have today? That is right, uh, because we do love the books and everything that they add to the Star Wars galaxy. We are excited to recommend this one because we are going to be doing a review in a couple weeks. It is the final book in the Alphabet Squadron series, Victory's Price by Alexander Freed. Absolutely. Diving into that one. So dive in with us. Download your free audiobook today. Uh, by going to audibletrial.com slash force center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash force center for your free audio book. Get an audio book and help support the show in the process. Your questions coming up right here on force. Center. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Force Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Force Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at Jennifer Landa and on TikTok as Jennifer Landa 1138 Welcome back to Force Center. We looked at the news. Now it's time to look at those cues. Joseph, what do we have? Yeah, we always get two from Twitter and two from our patrons on Patreon. So we're going to start with Twitter with Rodney Webster. Uh, Rodney says, Will Disney ever be bold enough to cast an actor to portray Luke Skywalker pre or post original trilogy without CGI effects? Love the show. Thank you, Rodney, for the kind words and the question. Uh, this is a, this is a really interesting one to talk about of how and where and when Luke Skywalker might appear and if a different actor uh, could uh, portray him without the CGI effects that we saw in The Mandalorian. Ken, where do you go with this? I think they will. I actually think they will. And quite frankly, I think they they might have been more apt to do it if uh, some of the <laughs> solo kerfuffle hadn't happened. No secret. I absolutely love Alden Ehrenreich as solo, and I think that's just the way to go. I understand. I understand it could be different. I, I, I remember the first time they showed the picture of the, the casting of the young Ned Stark, season six of Game of Thrones. I went, no, that's not. And then the more, <laughs> the, more the actors just got it. Just got it. You get a good actor to take on the part. 
that's going to drift away. And I, some, you know, I don't know. I, I grew up, uh, not grew up. I was already kind of uh, a young adult, but young Indiana Jones Chronicles. I, I never questioned uh, Sean Patrick Flannery as, as Indy. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, that, okay. River Phoenix is Indy. It, 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 it's part of it. And, and, and if you want to hear more of these and see more of these stories with the characters, I think it's there. So I think right to Rodney's question, will they be bold enough? It would be bold. It would be, it would be a big leap. Um, but yes, I, I think I think they will. I in a couple of years from now, I don't know. But I I think they absolutely will. I think there's so much to explore in mind with that character. Um, not just the wonderful performances by Mark Hamill throughout existence. And as long as uh, he wants and is willing to voice or play the character or stand on set for, for them to put digital uh, de-aging on him, I, I'm all for it and want more of that. But eventually someday, yeah, I'd love to see that. And I think they will. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great question. I think, uh, for me, I think any choice made with Luke Skywalker is bold at this point uh, for, for myself. I think it was, you know, bold to put him in Mandalorian. It was uh, bold to to do the CGI because that generated a, a, a lot of discussion. I think, you know, the character is so pivotal to the Skywalker saga, to Star Wars, uh, to fans, that almost anything you do with him is is bold. Um, I think if there were going to be some more storytelling with Luke soon to me it makes more sense to do an animated thing uh with mark hamill voicing if he's willing and interested um i think maybe that would be the less bold least bold because it is the the most uh straightforward Mm -hmm. um i do think there's so much storytelling so much interesting storytelling whether it is him journeying around discovering more about the force you know the adventures of uh middle-aged luke skywalker and young ben solo uh the fact that in those uh, Rise of Kylo Ren comics, we learned that, no, Luke got, uh, you know, some competent Jedi running around the galaxy doing Jedi things, it seems like, from the characters we meet. So there's that, that even that possibility. So I think it's, there's a ton of great storytelling possibilities. So I, w- I would think an animated thing, if it was going to be sooner, and Hamill was Ill- willing or interested, but then you could also have a, another voice actor if Hamill wasn't willing or interested. Uh, and then I really agree with you, Ken, of I think it makes sense to wait a few years of yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see like uh, this this first round that got announced uh, at, at the Disney Investor Day of of Disney Plus shows uh, get a couple new movies out there and get into this sort of next phase and really see that Star Wars can be so many different things in so many different time periods. And then while Luke Skywalker will always be special, I think we'll avoid some of that concern of we're always going back to these characters and it will just be Luke Skywalker will always be super, super uh, big deal, special, important. But I think it will feel less like uh, it will avoid that criticism of, oh, we just have to go back and play the hits, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's Five ten years from now, cast a a, a young actor, uh, maybe unknown, maybe Sebastian Stan. I don't have a strong opinion on that one myself. Then it will feel like um, not something we need to do, but something we want to do. Yeah, and that's the key when you, when you want to find a good story and and want to tell it, and um, for better or worse, I know strong opinions about Solo, but you know the Kazans even before the sale, they had uh, Lawrence uh, had this story, and he's he's a he's a guy who understands Han very much. Um, you can debate the execution of that movie, I guess, all you want, but I th- I think they they had a good why to tell the story. When they have a why to tell the story of Luke, I'm, I'm all I'm all for it. 
all for. Yeah, that's a great point to bring it back to the the why. Uh, I think sometimes myself, I sometimes get distracted by the it's Luke Skywalker and I want to see him. That's why. But you're totally right. They absolutely need uh, the right story and the right time to tell it and the right creative team to tell it. And then I think <laughs> to answer Ronnie's question, I think they will absolutely be willing to recast down the line is my guess let's move on to the next question brendan bozarth brendan says if darth vader in his prime were to somehow learn of kylo ren whether it be through a vision or time travel or anything how do you think vader would react to seeing someone idolizing him so much what if he also knew it was his grandson this is great some uh, a different approach on uh, on not vader versus kylo ren in a fight really but uh, what are vader's feelings on the existence of a kylo ren where do you go with this ken i the key to this question great question brendan is vader in his prime right like and i guess you, what is that pre new hope um because you know the de- once the death star blows up and and there's the force is strong with this one vader's on a downward slide in, according to vader right in the emperor like uh, uh anakin would tell you different but you know we you know that that the period of time rebel star wars rebels um but, but stuff's always going on in his mind stuff is always working uh, the war between anakin and vader goes on and on and on and on but vader in his prime i think would not care too much, but would find a way to use it to his advantage. I don't think there'd be a, let me tell you something. Here's what I went wrong conversation with Ben Solo or Kylo Ren, particularly Kylo Ren, obviously. Um, if he knew it was his grandson, then that's when even more, it, he would, he would fear the connections. He would fear the family, but then want to see how he can manipulate Kylo into working with him to get more power to fight this fight that he think is, is thinks is right. Um, and, and I think it would be dark. I think he, his, his, uh, his reasonings would be nefarious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in agreement. I think those are the, the steps of Vader processing. I think if, you know, Vader is at the, uh, the height of his, uh, his power and his, uh, throes of being trapped by the dark side, uh, there's been such good development of Vader throughout the, these, the comics that I think are really building on what's on screen uh, this idea that he wants to be the ultimate power. That's what the dark side is. It's this uh, trap where you you uh, want more power than you fear losing the power you have and you just keep grabbing. Uh, so I think that if <laughs> Vader didn't know Kylo was his grandson and just saw uh, Kylo a- as he appears, I think he would see him as just a sad pretender to be immediately squashed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just yeah. You're a sad cosplayer of me and I will destroy you. I think if he realized Kylo's power and possibly uh, the grandson connection, I think the instinct would be similar to what his instinct is with Luke. At first, it's this instinct of I can use that power to destroy Palpatine, mm-hmm. you know, and and get even more power for myself. So I think he would have an instinct, if not first instinct, crush, <laughs> second instinct, uh, manipulate and use. And I think possibly there'd be this interesting what if story to be told here of obviously we, we know the story of uh, eventually Luke getting through to Vader uh, through seeing his, his mercy. Uh, a lot of, we've had a lot of great discussions about that. It's a different experience for Vader to see someone who is of his blood, right. who has gone through the same fall that he has, you know, mm-hmm. would seeing uh, Ben's tortured soul be this, mirror to vader in a way that luke wasn't because luke hadn't 
you know, actually fall into the dark side? Would, would you know, Kylo be able to kind of hold up a, a mirror to Vader? I think that's the other possibility that he would possibly create a crack in, uh, yeah. in Vader's power and let, uh, let Anakin uh, come through. Yeah, and, and they, he has those moments, right? That's I mentioned the Rebel stuff. I, I really do think Ahsoka got to him for a beat, you know, in, in their fight at the end of season two. I think there's those things. That's why it's a constant war to me. So I think you, you bring up a good point of could there be? I, I don't know. It depends on how hold, how strong Vader is holding on to his anger at the, these moments. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting thought, too, of uh, instead of going, hey, hey, well, I'm Ben. I'm, I'm your grandson. You could change. It's going, hey. Oh, Kylo, you're right. <laughs> team up. It's great to be in constant misery and anger and pain. You know, it's just, you know, when you're making a mistake and then you see somebody else make the same mistake and you kind of know you're making a mistake, but then when you see it from outside of yourself, you're like, is that what I look like? <laughs> yeah. I think there's a possibility of an emotional, is that what I look like? Uh, from yeah. from Vader Anakin to, to Kylo Ben. That is a great question. Uh, I'm really, I'm really hoping for some more what if storytelling in Star Wars to explore fun things like that. Uh, move on to some questions from our patrons on Patreon. First one comes from Andrew McNabb. Uh, Andrew says, "Giving you guys what you have been subtly, not so subtly, asking for for a while now. Do you think a Q is in Q from Star Trek type character would work in Star Wars?" Uh, quick sidebar to the question. We call this the News and Cues episodes, and every once in a while, particularly when Andrew uh, sent this question in, uh, we kept referencing the character cue from Star Trek. So uh, that is where this is coming from. Back to Andrew's question. Do you think the omnipotent nature of such a character would devalue some of the stakes in our Star Wars stories, uh, knowing that this character could simply appear out of nowhere and remove vile villains such as Mipar Gascon uh, from the story with the click of a finger? Or do you think, used correctly, it could add another intriguing layer of fantasy and mythology to the universe, especially if it was Force-related? Despite space wizards and monsters, Star Wars still has a leg grounded in reality. How far would you like to see that reality go? Uh, Ken, where do, you, where do you go with this? Do you have uh, strong feelings about uh, the character Q in Star Trek and if yeah. that kind of character works in, in Star Wars? Well, I want to start I want to start here. A, a little open forum conversation. You're, you're a Star Trek uh, fan as, as, as well, um, without a doubt. Um, you know, Doctor Who may be higher on the depth chart for you. <laughs> But I've, I've said before, like, I, I not a huge Star Trek fan, but I do really appreciate it and do watch a lot of things. And, and Q, Q's been a character I always like. I, I just think maybe I like John Delancey's performance of, of him, and, and I like Q. Uh, never got too much far into it. Um, you, you've, you've expressed, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but just like that Q can be this, this uh, uh, not a problem, but like, yeah, he's, he is maybe too powerful. Do you, do you, what's your thoughts on Q? I'm going to start there. I should have just asked that question. <laughs> I think he works really, really well in Star Trek because Star Trek is this is strange mix and it's always has been since the original series of that it it is can has this great respect for science and, and you know, there can be a vision of Star Trek of like if humanity really gets itself together and and goes out and has a, a sense of exploration and working together. This is a possible view of our real future. Everything happens because of actual science, tachyons. But then also like Abe Lincoln's head in space and a planet that, hey, a book fell. So now we're all gangsters because it was a gangster book. Like Star Trek has always had some bonkers mm -hmm. stuff in it. So Q is a character that makes sense to me because uh, it's a little bit of that bonkers side of Star Trek. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. that balance of, Star Trek has such love of science and there's a world where like, well, someday humans will understand the science behind Q, but it's an alien that we can't quite comprehend yet. So from our perspective, 
he he's a god this mischievous trickster you know mm-hmm. um so he makes sense to me kind of aesthetically but then also thematically how q works is he's he's a trickster who tests the characters you know starting from encounter at farpoint he's like prove to me that humans are worthwhile and in all of his various appearances, that's how he functions story-wise. He pushes the characters to make them prove that they are who they say they are, that they are, uh, that humanity is worthwhile. And that idea, I think, has a real value in Star Wars. Yeah, and, and I even went as far as to kind of just look up a little bit of, of uh, Q and some of his descriptions and, and, and looking even just on Wikipedia, just as he's initially presented as a cosmic force judging humanity, like you mentioned here in a, in a bit, Joseph. Uh, uh, to see, uh, but also that he morphs into one of a teacher to Picard and, and the human race generally, and, and that being kind of maybe the why of the character, which is something that excites me. So, yeah. Uh, other than I, again, I just I thought uh, always thought John Delancey uh, was uh, a real interesting uh, performer there. I, I think absolutely that could work with Star Wars, and I'm, I don't know if we have a one to one comparison right now, but even something like the Bendu, which I can't fully understand can't fully explain it is interesting and what it does uh, mortis comes to mind i think naturally there there's some godlike kind of creatures even uh yoda and the lessons with uh what we believe might be uh the whales themselves or the force some of the stuff george was saying about eh, my sequel trilogy would have gone to a microbiotic level like what <laughs> i can take of it again it all serves to that the, the purpose of of i like the idea of challenging the characters constantly asking them to look at their choices or the choices they're going to make uh i think that could work and but i i andrew's right there's always a foot uh in, in realism and, and i sometimes have i admit my have my dukes up when some of that stuff pops up some of the stuff i, I got to the bendu i love in the start but it might have been simply the name <laughs> oh hi every that jedi bendu everyone in the room who already knows this okay uh you know i think that pulled me in um uh, same with the wills or something like that. Cause I've explained how I just was obsessed with thinking the journal, of the wills was a book that I needed to find out there in the real world when I was seven or eight. And I kept asking my mom to take me to bookstores to look for it. Um, <laughs> so if it's just some, some kind of godlike character, I think it could work and I trust them to handle them well. Yeah. I mean, the Bendu, uh, you know, also voiced uh, by Tom Baker, uh, mm. speaking of my great Dr. Who love. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the way I was looking at it is like, there's, there's tone things like John Delancey is so funny, but he's really played as the, like, I'm going to show up and just kind of razz you, uh, mm-hmm. often with, uh, pop culture references, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> one of his later appearances is on, is on deep space nine in a, uh, uh, humans been traveling with him and it's it's ma- mostly it's an early Deep Space Nine episode where Q's just like come on still travel with me like there's a lot of very human things about Q right. even though he's a god and I think some of that tonal stuff maybe doesn't match up with Star Wars but the mm-hmm. the powerful unknowable being who who understands reality on almost a different level yeah that's the Mortis gods right that's yeah. Bendu that's the the force priestesses that uh, Qui-Gon and, and Yoda study with uh, those that great Clone Wars arc with Yoda meeting them with the different masks of emotions. They are, uh, they can be guides and challengers in this sort of like godlike uh, uh, figures. Uh, so I think that that makes sense to me in Star Wars. And then the yeah, the trickster part. That's kind of Yoda's initial appearance, right? Of yeah. like, I'm going to be pretend to be something I'm not to push you to see who you really are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the Virgin's caves, you know, the Force caves are like that. They're these kind mm-hmm. of uh, somewhat sentient places that that show you what you're really wrestling with mm. um 
I'd, and I'd love to see that idea explored even more, you know, um, encountering maybe not like a, a trickster god like Q, but, you know, it'd be a great Jedi story if they land on some planet where it's, you know, an alien race that's only relationship to the Force is mind tricks, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just, you you can't trust reality at all, you know, because that's, that's a, you know, what some of Q's powerful stories are of like, oh, I'm going to actually change reality. And you you tell me if this is the reality you want, you know? Mm. Mm. Good tool. Good tool. So, yes, uh, I think, yes, Q and Star Wars. Just have, just bring Q over. It's a connected unit. <laughs> just have him pop in and have a conversation with, uh, with the Bendu. It will be great. Uh, that's a great question, Andrew, and, and thank you for letting us uh, turn this into Star Trek Center for just a moment. Uh, here we, Federation Center. There we go. There go. Uh, here we go to our final question from Kyle Barrett. Kyle says, uh, one of my favorite little details in a test of courage is that Master Douglas keeps sweets in the pockets of his Jedi robes. It got me thinking, what items do you think other Jedi from across the timeline keep hidden in their pockets, whether it be foodstuffs, knickknacks to fidget with, or uh, private personal possessions? Mm-hmm. What do you got, Ken? Uh, <laughs> who are the Jedis, and uh, what do they have in their pockets? Yeah, um, what it's because he, he, he Kyle's citing the High Republic era, which so many different Jedi and so many different styles and so many different approaches. But I, I'm going to a little of the older Jedi, a little of the quirkier Jedi, and you know, I put Qui Gon, Obi Wan in the desert, uh, Yoda, um, and I think food and you know, uh, tater tots, anything like that could work. But I try to connect it a little bit of myself. I've gotten better at this, but my wallet was a little bit of a Costanza wallet and can get like that where (laughs) I routinely have to go through it and just pull out folded post-it notes where I left myself a very important note that I totally forgot I put in there. Uh, The coffee punch cards, all those kind of things. I I see it as being Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan pulling out is like a, just a wad of like actual paper with notes. Like, so be like, well, you have, you have like a space iPad, like, no, 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 I got it. I got it here. I got it here. I got it here somewhere. Where was it? Where was it? I just think that kind of thing. I think most of the Jedi maybe have, have that going on in their robe pockets. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. Uh, I think, uh, that at different points, not always at certain points in his career, I think Obi-Wan maybe has a flask. Uh, maybe that's something that's I just want to believe. That's true. Uh, going to high Republic. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, in a review, uh, Reith Silas, uh, from into the dark, and I feel like he's got he's got to have some sort of like uh, data pad uh, so he can always be studying, right? Like he, he, you know, if it was a real person, it would be like his book. You know, he he's got his book on on his person uh, at all times. Uh, we just had a great discussion about the uh, Clone Wars episode lightsaber lost with the Elder Jedi Tara Sanube. I think he probably has hard candies uh, like Master Douglas. Yeah. But I also wonder, I wonder if there is any sort of Star Wars version of, you know, does he have like fold out pictures of uh, every Jedi he's ever trained, every kid of like, you know, back when they were younglings, you know, just incredibly long string of actual printed photos. Uh, My last one, which is uh, fun to guess on, is I wonder if Rey uh, is just going around being a Jedi with her awesome yellow lightsaber if she sees a piece of a, like a little piece of machinery that she knows is valuable, that she just enjoys picking it up <laughs> yeah. and putting it in her belt. Yeah. Just collecting the joys of the world. I could see that. I got That's it. right. That's right. Uh, any others for you? Uh, no, no. You know, I'm trying to think of what Ma- Mace might just have nothing but like repressed rage in there. I don't know. <laughs> just a list. Yeah. 
a list of all the things he knows he's right about, but no one will listen to him. About. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think this is maybe one of those fun conversation that goes around where like Jedi would say, you know, like, yeah, we know we're not, uh, supposed to be clinging to possessions and yeah. but some of us carry around little mementos we like and and we can let go of them if need be in a a fun group conversation about what little memento do you carry and you know a different kit fisto laughingly says i have this little token and it comes to mace and he's just like i carry nothing yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what i think it is he, uh, mace carries attitude uh those are our questions thank you rodney brendan andrew and kyle all great questions yes great questions indeed and uh, we are wrapping up our episode but we want to let you know where you can find us and uh, submit more questions when we uh, ask for it. we usually have that pinned tweet on the top of the page you can go to twitter at four center pod we are on instagram and youtube as well our facebook page is four center podcast podcast available on anchor iHeartRadio, apple podcast google play uh, and, and Google Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Amazon Music. Also, finally, after a little bit of a technical error, we are discoverable on Anchor, which is uh, our, our home site. But if you if you want to like favorite the podcast, if you listen on Anchor, I know a lot of you listen to other spots. Um, go go for uh, go go forth and find us on Anchor. You can finally search and find our name there. Also, easier to share the podcast. Uh, merch is available at tpublic.com slash user slash center, and we can be supported directly at patreon.com slash center. Always enjoy having new patrons uh, come on board and hop into our Discord community to continue the conversation. You can follow me at Cadnapsuck or go to Cadnapsuck.com. And for my uh, highlight of uh, charities we, we're focusing on here, uh, we each always present our own. And uh, right now I'm still uh, working with the stbaldricks.org on their upcoming event. They, they uh, every, uh, every day, all time, all year, uh, are trying to uh, conquer childhood cancer, uh, but they've got a big shave event. It's uh, the big event where uh, people raise money and awareness by uh, for cancer research, for childhood cancer research by shaving their heads. And friend of the show, friend of uh, mine from the Feeding the Monster podcast feed, Jeffrey Saunders, uh, who uh, works in this uh, field, he's uh, being um, he's got a big part of it, uh, and he's uh, his team Shaving Lives 2021 has got their big event coming up at the end of this week. So all of that said, go to stbaldrix.org to find out more information. Joseph. Yeah, it sounds like a great event, great charity. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my website, josephscrimshaw.com, uh, for links to all my other comedy adventures. Uh, in particular, I want to highlight if you're uh, also fans of the MCU, on my podcast, Obsessed, my wife and I did a discussion of WandaVision, so you can check that out. There's a link to Obsessed. And also the Adult Swim show, the weird comedy fantasy show that uh, I write for Tigtone. Both seasons of that show uh, that currently exist are now streaming on HBO Max. So if you want to check it out and you've got a subscription to HBO Max, you watch four hours of Justice League and then say, I want even more, <laughs> mm -hmm. you can go watch uh, Tigtone. And for the thing that I'd like to highlight, uh, I want to continue to highlight the service ResistBot. It is just a very, very fast, very convenient messaging service uh, to reach your reps and let them know what you think they are doing well, what you want them to focus on. I think it is a great little reminder that we do have power. They do represent us and we can try to reach out and tell them here's what is important to us. Absolutely. Reach hashtag reach your reps. That's that's, that's a good <laughs> marketing campaign there. Uh, good stuff. As always, thank you all for listening to another episode of Force Center. We'll see you soon.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.